For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good evening, everyone. Happy New Year. I'm Douglas Floyd. Um, I'm not sure I have a real thesis to this Dharma talk. It really came from just this occasion of the year's end and um, looking backward and and thinking about uh, our usual custom of coming up with New Year's resolutions in which we look back on the past year, appraise our lives, and then through the new year and make some resolutions. They tend to be usually, uh, I will, most people, or a lot of people, I will lose 10 pounds, I will go to the gym more, um, I will be kinder, maybe I will sit every day for X minutes a day, something along those lines. And was one and started wondering, well, how does that fit with what my real res- resolution is, is that just to renew the Bodhisattva vows that we take all the time. And as I thought more about it, it just it occurred to me how different our usual New Year's resolutions are from, from our Bodhisattva vows, the, the ones that we take in the zendo on a regular that we recite in the zendo on a regular basis uh, you know the new year's resolutions can be very fine things um giving rise to better health um doing more zazen become a kind maybe becoming a kinder person they fail a lot um and there's always all kinds of advice at this time of year about uh you know how you um how you should make your resolutions and plan your resolutions so that you'll have success. You know, you would um, not reach too far in making resolutions so that it's reachable. It's something that's um, repeatable, um, measurable, uh, something that you can do repeatedly in order to create a habit. But at the end of the day, most of the time, our resolutions are, are about, um, however good they are, are from some sort of self-centric idea that something's wrong with my life and I'm going to make it better. I'm going to uh, feel better, do something, that I'm, going, that I'm going to achieve something. Uh, and that's really completely different from what our, our uh Bodhisattva vows are. It's, um, those are really dualistic. Uh, and however good they are, they carry a trace, a karmic trace with them that can influence our future thoughts, speech, and action. Um, and um, that sort of gives rise to the, why the vows that we take are so important in Buddhism. You know, in the Avatamsaka Sutra, there's the statement that ordinary beings live by karma and bodhisattvas live by vow. 
um, ordinary beings are living um, under impulses of desire and delusion, um, for better or worse, um, while the Bodhisattva steps back from that activity in order to take action for the benefit of all beings uh, in an unselfish way. Um, and because of that importance in the, uh, that statement in the Avatamsaka Sutra, you know, Tagen mentioned yesterday that, that vow is in the Avatamsaka Sutra is treated as one of the ten paramitas. And there's an important section in which Samantabhadra, the Bodhisattva of vow and of precepts, uh, sets out uh, ten of his own vows. Um, and the significance of the vow for us is that all of our vows are bodhisattva vows, in which we vow to wake up and to act for the benefit and well-being of all beings. And when we do that, we um, drop off our attachments, aversion, and delusions. And in caring for other beings, we awaken, uh, we benefit the other beings, and we realize the Buddha way simultaneously. You might consider it the um, practice realization of perfect enlightenment in action at any rate. Um, so even ancient dragon is, has less um, has less ceremony around vows than many others in times. But even we have a good many. I mean, we recite the four bodhisattva vows. You know, beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to cut through them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. We recite that at the end of every ancient dragon program. And after most of our weekday morning periods of zazen. But we also... Um, make a vow when we have the, on Sunday mornings. Uh, before the Dharma talk, we have the sutra opening verse in which at the end, uh, we vow to um, uh, enroll the meaning of the, unfold uh, the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. Um, other times we recite the vows are during the meal chants. Or when we recite the, the refuges in Buddha Dharma Sangha sometimes. Uh, but when we, uh, during the meal verse, we vow that at the end, that um, with all beings, that the first bite we take will end all evil, the second will cultivate all good, and the third will free all beings, which is part of the um, pure precepts, the vows we take. Uh, when we recite the 16 Bodhisattva precepts. And we recite, we take, make the vows to uh, live by the 16 Bodhisattva precepts during um, priest ordinations and lay ordinations when people receive the precepts and take Jukai. And sometimes, occasionally, we um, have a full moon Bodhisattva ceremony, which we um, recite the precepts and we repent of our failures, uh, of the harm we've caused, 
and the failures, our failures to comply with the precepts. And most of you, or many of you, have, have participated in formal Bodhisattva ceremonies with Paula Lazar's. And I think a couple of times here, but it's very common in, in many Zen centers and Zen temples to have the ceremony every month. Um, and there are, um, as well, in, uh, in Zen monasteries, which we are not, um, there are many other vows that people take as well. Practice verses, in which they will... Um, Say something along for every action you can take in your ordinary day. It'd be a practice verse and a vow. So something like washing my face, I vow with all beings to attain the Dharma gate and be forever undefiled. Something like that for brushing your teeth, for sitting on the toilet, for working and chopping vegetables, just about everything you can imagine. Um, so, you know, there are other ways, aside from this sweeping significance of the Bodhisattva vows and how often we take them, um, there are other differences um, between the vows and, and year-end resolutions, New Year's resolutions. Um, we take them and renew them all the time because we can't fulfill them. We will fail. And so we recite the repentance first and we renew our vows uh, Bodhisattva vows over and over again. And um, I think the significance, it's important, um, I think, in many exper people's experience, just uh, they're daunted by the fact that uh, the vows are impossible to satisfy. So in the four Bodhisattva vows, for example, we Recite that beings are numberless. We vow to free them. That if they're numberless, how can we can possibly do that? How can I, as a limited individual, do that? Um, Dharma gates are inexhaustible. I vow to learn them all. How can we commit to master all of the teachings of the Dharma? And yet, I think the significance of that is that. They are not, when we take the vows and we try to live by the vows, they are not achievements of ours. They are commitments to how we will do everything, how we will live our lives. And it's a vow to never-ending continuous practice rather than something that we will achieve, something that, and something that will lead to us getting something in exchange. Um, and for that reason, these, uh, the Bodhisattva vows are frequently called immeasurable, immeasurable vows, inconceivable vows, the great vows, that are beyond all of the normal affirmations and settings of intentions, resolutions that we might make. But beyond, another difference is that, that our vows are commitments in ways that New Year's resolutions are. New Year's resolutions, we set an intention. I'll go to the gym more this year. I'll be a kinder person. But the, the vows that we take are generally, not always, but generally taken as part of a ceremony where we collectively recite the vows. In the presence of each other, before each other's witnesses, we take the vows, we vow to each other that this is how we will live. 
And we do this, people witness this. It's like a, um, it's like a marriage ceremony. In a marriage ceremony, there are, all, there's a, there are always witnesses. And the significance is that the couple getting married is not just making commitments to each other, they're making commitments to the community. Not some sort of binding legal commitment, but I promise you that I will behave in this way. You can rely on me. You can count on this. Um, and that's a sort of vow that, that's going on there. It's, um, and in fact, in certain of the vows that, that we take, the idea of having witnesses is built into the vow. So, for example, in that practice groups, you know, I mentioned that washing my face, I vow together with all beings to take it away and be forever free of defilement. There's similar sorts of recitations in um, when uh, in the morning service in many temples, after taking the, uh, reciting the repentance verse, we take uh, refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha, and the formula is I take refuge in Buddha before all beings, immersing body and mind deeply in the way, awakening true mind. I take refuge in Dharma before all beings, entering deeply in the merciful ocean of Buddha's way. I take refuge in Sangha before all beings, bringing harmony to everyone free from beings. So there's an idea that we are making these vows um, to all beings and that they are in some sense witnessed by all beings. And in other ceremonies as well, in um, in the um, or priest ordination in the Jukai ceremony, we invoke the Buddhist and Bodhisattvas um, in order for them to witness our taking the vows, taking, uh, reciting the Bodhisattva vows, taking refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha, and vowing to, to live in accordance with the other Bodhisattva precepts. So that's a that's a a, a big difference. We not and we not only the the translation for that invocation of the Buddhas and that I vow together with all beings, for example, is is flexible. It can be translated as I vow um, I take refuge in Buddha before all beings. It can be I take refuge in Buddha with all beings. And so that's a difference as well in, that I mentioned before. It's a collective activity. It's not just that we we commit to to all beings and to people we're with that we will comply with these vows, but um, and that they were witnessed. But um, uh, I'm going to have to set that aside. What my point was going to be. Um, but I think um, the most important thing um, is that all of this vowing assumes 
the perspective of Mahayana Buddhism that we are part of, we are immersed in this limitless, um, continuous, great earth with all beings, that we are inseparable from them, and that um, we cannot, therefore, um, become awakened alone. We can't take vows alone. We can't. We are mutually sustained uh, by all beings. We sustain all beings. All beings sustain us. And in taking these vows, we have to. When we are um, taking the vows without um, self-interest, without a motive of self-interest, without a motive of benefit, but solely for the, with the interest of caring for another being, we let go of our attachment, aversion, and delusion, and in that way, awaken to true mind and to the reality of being in this world. We are no longer... Um, deluded by the sense of being a separate self. That's something that Dogen emphasizes in, in his fascicle of Bodhisattva uh, Shishobo. When he says that beneficial action, Bodhisattva action, is an act of oneness, benefiting self and others together, because in benefit, taking action to benefit other beings, to care for, the, for other beings, we at the same time are awakened from our delusion and defilements. And he also, Dogen also says that helpful conduct is the whole of Dharma. So um, that's why I would say that very much like Zazen is the practice realization of perfect enlightenment, um, the taking of the vows and the perf- acting in accordance with the vows is itself practice realization of perfect, of perfect enlightenment in activity. So I'm going to leave it there and make it very short. This is sort of a footnote to something Tygen had to say when he began his talk yesterday. So I'd be happy to share perspectives on, on vows, how you see them, how you experience them. So please bring me your questions and comments. I just want to thank you, Douglas Rackham, for a very rich and insightful commentary. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. David Ray has his hand up. Hi, Douglas. That's right. You see me over there and I see you over here. Um, Hello. Thank you so much for that talk. Uh, A lot of things that I want to ask you about, but one thing in particular that that I heard you say, but I don't think I quite heard the whole sentence, but I heard the phrase um, karmic trace. And I couldn't hear whether you were saying that that the act of of taking a vow and making a vow leaves a karmic trace or, or if it was something else. And if it is that... Um, what does that mean? Where does a karmic trace get left? I was saying that making a self-interested resolution to create some benefit from yourself, I'm going to become happier, healthier, more attractive, a better human being, is essentially a dualistic self-interested vow or 
resolution. It's different. I don't want to confuse it with the mound. And that therefore there's a karmic trace. That while all of those things may be very good, there is uh, a trace, a, um, a seed of, of acting out of self-interest that's created and that is stored in our mind and it's activated later in response to appropriate causes and conditions. So that even though you have make a resolution to do some perfectly good thing, it may manifest, manifest itself down the road as a selfish, um, unhelpful, unskillful action. Thank you. Well, if there are no further comments and questions, then maybe we can move directly to reciting the Bodhisattva vows. I would like to. Oh, I didn't see you. Because I didn't raise my hand. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Actually, this is maybe not so directly uh, involved with vow, but it is involved with Sangha. And I see Caitlin and Nicholas in particular and Amina and some of you I haven't seen for a while, but I also just wonder how you're all doing. You know, I know that some people have had some challenges or, you know, I just want to say hi. So, hi, everyone. <laughs> hi there. <clears throat> it's Nicholas. Uh, I, I actually have a comment. Um, thank you for that invitation to include us here in cyberspace um but yeah that was a very um inspiring talk douglas and it made me think a lot about my life and and you know what i want to do this year moving forward because i feel like since the pandemic many of my actions have been very kind of self-interested you know or about me and even though they've included wonderful things like travel and other things that, you know, we might value culturally as, you know, a great thing to do. I feel like I've lost the sense of uh, service, which that's, well, that, that's the word that was coming to me um, with regard to the Bodhisattva vows in general, that, that I, I really have, uh, you know, for many years, I had found ways to be of service directly to my different communities, and I've kind of lost that. And so, you know, your talk really crystallized that issue and really inspired me to uh, get serious about, um, yeah, being of service in the world again, more directly. So thank you for that. Sure. Well, something that that um, I always find helpful is that the vows, when we have the um, immeasurable vows in the Bodhisattva vow, the inconceivable vow, it seems daunting, really. It can seem very daunting. The whole idea that I'm this limited being, how am I going to free uh, numberless beings and... Uh, uh, mastered uh, limitless teachings and uh, 
realize the unsurpassable truth. And to tell the truth, the first time I was ever offered the opportunity to take the Bodhisattva vows, I just said, yeah, I'm not ready to take that kind of vow. Right. Uh, yeah, I was doing a retreat at, at Karmacholing in Barnet, Vermont. And in the middle of the retreat, they offered, they performed a ceremony where people could take the refuges in Buddha Dharma Sangha and uh, take Bodhisattva vows. And I took refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha and say, yeah, I'm going to defer this Bodhisattva thing. I can't, I can't make a commitment to say I'm going to try to save all beings. And that may have been, you know, a limited understanding of actually what was involved in taking the three refuges as well. And the fact that, that the Bodhisattva vows are, are about um, a commitment to endless repeated activity is not <laughs> for this life. And if there's a next life, the next life, the next life, the next life, and so on forever, there's no, idea that you're going to get everybody freed next week. But the other thing that, you know, that, it, that has helped me a lot is to understand that this is not so remote. This is not something that isn't going to happen for a trillion lives, that we do take selfless action to help others and to care for others and touch the reality of the Buddha way in those moments. This is something that we can do. Um, we are grabbed by karma we, and by our attachments and our aversions and our delusions reassert themselves. But we, this is something that we, we can taste the Buddha way. We can taste the Bodhisattva life. Yes, yes. Even if it's as simple as waking up to the Dharma gate of brushing your teeth, you know, <laughs> or the most mundane thing of just really being present for that moment. As you mentioned, you also mentioned it's not a result, you know, it's, it's a vow, so. Uh, and, um, you know, the the vows as a practice, I mean, I suppose it can feel sterile for a lot of people. But I think the point is, by repeating the vows, they, the vows deepen. And they, um, they become real to us over time. Uh, they wake us up. Well, thank you. Thank you, Douglas, and thank you, um, Nicholas, for mentioning service as part of this. But uh, the point, Douglas, the point that uh, struck me in your your uh, talk and really uh, supplementing uh, what we talked about yesterday morning, you, you talked about the the uh, commitment to never-ending vows. And I think that's a different idea than, oh, we're going to make this vow to get to some other uh, other thing, to get somewhere else, to get, to accomplish something. These, this is a it's, it's kind of like a, I don't know what to call it, an escalator or a, a, a moving walkway. It's it's never ending. 
So there's a way in which, uh, to me, that's that may seem frustrating, but to me, it's sort of it, we could also see it as comforting that this is this is a way of uh, seeing the world that keeps going and uh, that includes, I, you know, as uh, Nicholas was talking about some, you know, some perhaps personal vows, but also. Um, that those that those are, have to do with service. So anyway, I, just the never-ending part of it is a, a, a good way of glossing what are sometimes called inconceivable vows. It's not about getting somewhere else. And I just wanted to note that Amina said in in her uh, in the chat that she was sick in bed, and I mm-hmm. wish you to get better soon. And I'm glad you could join us anyway. Something else that I, I find inspiring is the fact that we recite these vows together collectively. And in that way and in other ways, uncounted ways, I'm sure, we support each other mutually in observing the vows and in our practice. And I think it's an interesting thing to note, and Tiger and I exchanged emails about this earlier today, that the four bodhisattva vows in Chinese don't have a subject in any of the four vows. It's just beings are beings without number vow to free them. And so the vow could be read easily as I vow to free them or we vow to free them. Um, and I think that when we chant them together, uh, after a Dharma talk, for example, that's a, a way to th- think about it, that we, are, we vow together to free all beings. I wanted to say that Amina is like female Akirti. We're in her sick room with her. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that's a great, great bodhisattva Amina. So I wish you well too. Thank you, Hogetsu. It's inspiring that you made the effort. Thank you. Yeah, I, I couldn't decide, and then I, I felt like I wanted to. So, thank you. Welcome. Supplementing what Hogetsu said is, you know, and Douglas, that there's no, in Chinese, there aren't subjects. So it's really hard to translate all this stuff. <laughs> um, it's, you know, is it we, I vow to free them, we vow to free them, vowing freedom. Um, it's uh, to put it into it, this kind of very dualistic <laughs> English language is challenging. So we were, we're working on how to, how to translate all these. But I, I talked yesterday about the second one, delusions and, and, uh, cutting through them, which is uh, uh, more literal than ending them. That's the never-ending part. <laughs> we we uh, we have never-ending delusions as well as awakenings. I think our bodies do the translation. 